Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as a shield. Those are verses 11 and 12 of Psalm 5, which along with Psalm 6 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, July the 6th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate that. We're still in the books of 1 Samuel, Acts, and the Gospel according to Luke. We're continuing the story of God's rejection of Saul as king over Israel. Remember, he failed to do what God had told him to do. What, what we're told again and again is that he failed to obey the voice of the Lord in the destruction of the Am- Amalekites. He was intended to completely destroy them. Not a man or a woman or a child or a beast of the field was to be left alive. And so he failed to do that. He kept the best of the sheep and the oxen, which is sort of exactly what was sacrificed in Genesis by uh, in Genesis 4 by Abel, was the best of the, sh- of the flocks. And so they've kept those, and Saul says, we were going to sacrifice those uh, right over here at Gilgal, if that's okay with you. But no, they weren't supposed to do that. They, they, were, they were not their own. They, did, they, didn't, they claimed them as their own, as spoils of war. They were not. And so they, they had Saul, who had been the one given the commandment of exactly what to do through the mouth of Samuel, Saul failed to obey the voice of the Lord. And so he um, is, is, had the kingdom taken away from him. He, he said, you're, you're not going to be on the throne much longer, and your family's not going to inherit it. And so Saul says after that, I, I've sinned, finally. Because before that, he's blaming the people. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Listen to this, because I feared the people in their voice. So he obeyed their voice. So he feared the people more than he feared God, more than he feared Samuel. He feared the people, and he obeyed their voice again and again and again. It's a problem. Now, it's a wonderful thing that Saul confesses and repents here. Now, does he really do that the rest of his life? Not so much, but, but at least he acknowledges that he's sinned finally, and Samuel said to Saul, I will not return to you, with you, because he wanted him to go with him. Pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I won't return with you, for you've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel started to go away. He starts walking away. Saul reaches out and seizes the skirt of the robe of Samuel, and it tore. And Samuel turned around and said, there's your sign. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. That what you just did is exactly what God did. That's a sign to you that what you did in tearing my robe is a sign that that's what's happened. The Lord has torn the kingdom from you and given it to a neighbor who is better than you. And also the God of glory will not lie or have regret, for he's not a man that he should have regret. God's not going to repent about that. Then he said, I've sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. He's still afraid. He's somewhat afraid of judgment. He's also mostly afraid what the people are going to think if Samuel won't come back with him. Because they'll know. They'll know if Samuel doesn't go back with him. But he did, And he did. He went back with him and Saul bowed before the Lord. So he, he's essentially confessing God is God. Although with his life, he had failed to confess that thing. The people were his God. The people even here are kind of his God because he wants their approval. He doesn't want them to know that he's been rejected. 
And so they get back there, and he, he bows before the Lord. He makes the appropriate response, and Samuel's with him. And so it looks like he's still the king, and he is, until God decides to take him out. And then Samuel says, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Oh, it's the priest that wants me. Oh, not that big a deal. I guess we're going to have a conversation. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. He is, he's expecting to have a conversation. I don't know what he's expecting after that, but he, but he does not think that he's about to be killed. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And he hacked him to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. That is some kind of, you know what, priest. <laughs> he, he hacked him to death for the crimes that he had committed against Israel by, by killing um, the, the men of Israel. And so now women are childless because there are no men. And so that's what he's, what he's saying to him. And he hacked him bef- to pieces before the Lord, a king. And then he goes to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul, and Samuel didn't see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. It's a, a powerful and a poignant thing to, to say he, he grieved over Saul. He didn't despise Saul. He didn't hate Saul. He hated what Saul had done. And he hated that this had happened in Israel, and, and the Lord regretted, which is something that Samuel said he didn't do, Right? He regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And we're anthropomorphizing there. And so that's the, the, does that word regret mean the same thing it would mean if you and I regretted having done something? Or or does it mean something different than um, I felt bad that I had done that like I had made a mistake? No, that's not what that means at all. What it, what it means is, is that that's not good for the people. And And it was, the regret means he's never going back on it. That, that this is done and it's over with. <clears throat> in that gospel lesson, remember yesterday that after the crucifixion of Jesus, the women came and watched where Jesus was laid in the tomb and then they went home and they prepared spices and ointments and then they rested the following day because it was the Sabbath and so they had to keep Sabbath. On the first day of the week at early dawn, which is exactly as early as you can go out and do something, the Sabbath ended at dawn the following day. They went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And, and I'm sure what they're thinking is, is that, oh, the guards must be in there doing something. But then what they found was that, they were, he was, that there was nobody there, including the body of Jesus. And they were perplexed about this. And behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. They, they knew these were not just two men. They're bowing down with their faces to the ground, which is a posture of worship. And so they, they have come to a conclusion about who these men are. And they just the men said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. You, huh? I mean, that, that's the only way you could react. I mean, what do you mean he's risen? I, I don't, I'm not following that. Because nobody believed that. You know, I've talked about this before. The first two people we know who did not believe in a virgin birth were Mary, who said, how can such things be? Because... I'm a virgin. And Joseph, who decided because she was pregnant and he hadn't known her yet, that he would divorce her. So the first two people we know that did not believe in a virgin birth were Mary and Joseph. And the people that we know didn't believe in resurrection, even at this point in time, after several years with Jesus, are these women. Because at one point, one of them asks him, 
where have you laid it? Where have you or they laid him? That's Mary that asked that question of the person she thinks is a gardener, but it's actually Jesus. And and you can't look at Jesus and not see Jesus unless the most the furthest thing from your mind is that's Jesus. So there's a proof that they did not believe in resurrection in spite of the fact that Jesus had talked about it. And so that's exactly what the angels say to him here. Remember how he told you. Remember hearing his voice. Again, we're going back to obeying the voice, hearing the voice, believing the voice. So remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Remember he told you that? That's what we're talking about. When we say he's not here but he's risen, he told you that. Don't you remember? Didn't you believe him when he said this? And the answer is, you know, back then it was just sort of hypothetical. So we, we didn't really pay much attention to those things he was talking about when he was talking about being crucified and all that and taking up your cross and following him. We, we just thought that was some sort of weird hyperbole or metaphor. We weren't, we didn't really think he meant it. Not like this. And so they remembered his words. And then, which means they began to believe. And it's that word, anamnesis, that we talk about when we talk about um, Passover. The way you do anamnesis type of remembering is you put yourself in those shoes. It's the same thing I was talking about yesterday when we stand in the congregation on Palm Sunday and we, we shout together, crucify him. We're putting ourselves in their shoes and therefore we're, we're doing a different kind of remembering. We're just not just calling something to mind. We're calling it into mind as, so as to make it a present reality. And it's what we do in communion, too, because the, the, the important thing we're supposed to do is put ourselves in the shoes of, at the table with, the disciples. And we're, we're making that moment real in our own lives. And we're participating in the Last Supper with him by the way that we remember this. And, and, and you know exactly what that means. You can put yourself into remembrance of things in that same way. And, and, and you do it whenever you recall something and it brings a tear to your eye or a smile to your face. You're not just remembering passively. You're remembering actively. And that's, that's what this remembering is. They remembered his words. And what it means is that, that, that they now believe him. These things are now real to them. And so they returned from the tomb and they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now these people we're talking about are, are Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But listen to this. But their words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. They heard them too. He didn't speak these words to the women. He spoke to all these people. The disciples particularly heard Jesus say this again and again and again. But they didn't remember, I mean, they didn't remember in a way that caused them to believe. I mean, so who else do we know doesn't believe in resurrection at the day of the resurrection? The disciples. Jesus' own disciples don't believe that's the explanation for what's happened here and why there's an empty tomb. They have no earthly idea. John will say in his gospel that, that when they he and Peter ran to the tomb at this point and he got there first, he, John, got there first, and, and Peter, no, Peter got there first, right? And then, so he looks in, no, he looked in and, and believed. But what did he believe? Because I'm not sure that he believed that. I'm not sure that he believed that the explanation was Jesus is risen from the dead because they didn't go away that way. They went away and didn't tell anybody. But remembering 
it's important that we actively remember. It's important that we remember in such a way that those things are real to us and that they're, they're true to us and that we believe them with all our hearts. That's what we, When you obey the voice, what you've done is you've internalized it at a level that says, I believe this enough that I'm going to set my whole life on this no matter what anybody else says. I believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And that's the way that we, we say the entire creed, that he was born of a virgin, crucified under Pontius Pilate, um, died, buried, rose from the dead three days later, sits at the right hand of the Father, will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. We believe that. We remember those things. We believe the voice. We obey the voice by carrying that out in our lives. Paul heard the word, or not Paul, Saul heard the words, and he, he says that he obeyed the voice of God, mostly. But he, but he didn't believe God at some level. He didn't believe God was God because he had fear of the people more than he had fear of God. He was unwilling to, dis- to, to uh, disappoint or disobey the ones he could see because what he could see was the most important thing to Saul. And that's not the way we're supposed to be, nor is it the way we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live in such a way that we believe in the unseen realities, that they are every bit as much, and if not more so, realities than the things we can see because the things we can see will pass away. But those things are eternal, and they'll stand forever. So let us not get caught up in the things that we can see and believe those to be the more imminent and immediate things than the things of heaven. We have to obey the voice no matter what we see. We have to ignore the evidence of our eyes and the evidence of our hearts sometimes to believe the truth. And that's what happens here, is these women don't believe and the disciples don't believe. They have to ignore all that in order to come to saving faith. They have to ignore all of that in order to see the truth. They, among all people, need to be able to do that. And so Peter, we know here, now that we've moved forward from Saul's conversion, Saul's in, he's back in Tarsus now for a season of time, and, and Peter is here and there. He went here and there among them all. He's in, still in, not Jerusalem, he's in Jewish territory. He's, he's moving among Jews. He came also down to the saints who lived at Lydda. So these people are converted. They're now the church. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Get up and make your bed, Aeneas. I mean, this guy's been paralyzed for eight years. Peter speaks this word to him and says, doesn't just say get up unless he'd be good with that. No, no, get up and make your bed. That means life's moving on. You're going to keep living. And so you're going to do the things that somebody who's going to live would do. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw this, and they turned to the Lord. They believed this because they knew Aeneas had been paralyzed for these years. And then there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Well, that was helpful. (laughs) She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days she became ill and died, and when they washed her, they laid her in an upper room. She's dead. But this is amazing. It's just early, early, early days, right? Lydda was near Joppa. The disciples, hearing that Peter was there, (coughs) sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. Why? What did they think Peter was going to be able to do? This woman had died. Did they want him to come to the funeral? Was that the, the request? I don't think so at all. I think they believed that Peter had the same power that Jesus had because it was the power of the Holy Spirit living in him. It was partially, at least, due to the fact that he had healed a man in the beautiful gate in in Acts 4, and now he has healed the paralytic, Aeneas, over in Lydda. And so Lydda was near Joppa, 
right? So it's close by. So these people know. They've heard the story of what happened in Lydda with Aeneas. And so they, they think, well, you know, hey, maybe Peter can do what Jesus did. Jesus healed paralyzed people. He also raised people from the dead. Look at Lazarus. So Peter went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with him. But Peter put them all outside, did what Jesus did in the gospel lesson from two weeks ago with the, um, the synagogue ruler. He put them outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. He remembered something here. And what he remembered was sometimes these things come out only with prayer. Don't start with trying to command this thing to happen. Start with prayer. See what God would have you do. And then obey the voice of God. And so he, you know, takes courage, faith, whatever words you want to use on it for him to do this, to stand up, look at this dead woman, and say, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. She had heard this story too, no question about it. And she gave her, he gave her his hand and raised her up. So Peter is actually taking her by the hand and raising her from the dead. Then calling all the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Do we remember to listen to the voice of the Lord, or do we leap to act on our own behalf? We've got to remember. We've got to remember to pray. And then we've got to do whatever he tells us to do. Whether it's actively doing something or whether it's just believing in his word no matter what you see. Whatever the evidence of your eyes is, if God's told you something, believe in that, walk in that, and live in that.